And what we've been doing for months and months now is we've been going basically verse by verse, section by section through um, John's gospel. And what we said early on was that John brings this really unique perspective at the life and ministry of Jesus because I think that Jesus, or John, what we see in the scriptures is that John was one of Jesus' closest friends, most intimate friends while he was walking the planet. Uh, and I just think that's, that's really neat that we have that unique perspective. We also said early on that John makes very clear why he wrote the book. Um, in, in, in John, I think it's chapter 20, John basically says, by the way, here's why I wrote this. And that's why, when an author says that, that's always a good thing to take note of, right? It helps you to know how you're supposed to kind of read that book. He tells us that the reason why he wrote it was that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that through that belief, through that faith, we might have life in his name. That's the purpose of John's book. That we might know that Jesus, we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that we might have life in his name through, that, through our faith in him. Um, so what we've done, basically, through the months that we've been walking through this, what we've seen, I'm, on every page, every page, basically every story, every Sunday, if you've been here, you'll know this is the case. We've seen that, that Jesus is shown to be the Son of God. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good prophet, although he is all of those things, but he's much more, isn't he? He's much more than that. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh, right? He, he's the bread of life. He is our, our living water. He, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the light of the world. He is lagos. He is the word. He is our very reason for existence. This is what we've seen in the Gospel of John so far. Um, so we, we find ourselves today as we jump back into John uh, in chapter 9. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. Um, and what we see in, in John chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, but really the story that, that we find here goes through all the way through chapter 9 and all the way into uh, uh, chapter 10. What we see in this story is the same theme running through. In chapter 9, in the story that we're going to look at today, we see the light and the high beauty of Jesus Christ. It's just painted so clearly for us, the light and the high beauty of Jesus Christ. But what's unique in this story is that it's contrasted with the darkness of suffering and pain within our world. The, the light and the high beauty of Jesus Christ is contrasted with the darkness of suffering and pain that we see in the world around us. Those are the two major themes of what we're going to be looking at today. The darkness of suffering and the light of Christ. Um, and I don't think, by the way, that it's any coincidence that we find ourselves in John chapter 9 today. Um, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been as bombarded with pain and suffering and heartbreak as I have been um, recently. Not personally, I'm talking about stories. Right here in this church, right here in this very room, there are some people here that are hurting, that are, their hearts are breaking, there's pain, there's suffering, there's disease, there's decay, there's death. Um, just this week, family members are sick. Children are in the hospital. Marriages are struggling. Relationships are breaking. Families are dividing. Grown children are running from God, abandoning all that they grew up with. All of these stories, I've heard all of these stories this week, this week from this church and from friends of this church. So I think, well, man, I've got to go get away from all this. I've got to go turn on the news. Right? You turn on the news, what do you see? Well, this morning it was earthquake, 6.1, homes destroyed, right? Just north of us. You know, what's, what's the headlines? Ferguson, Missouri, right? Iraq, terrorist activity in Iraq, Israel and Hamas, 
Afghanistan, Syria, Liberia, right? You could just keep going. I don't think it's any coincidence that we find ourselves where we are today. Um, John 9 takes the reality of pain and suffering head on. Um, and let me say one more thing. We're going to read this in just a second here. But before I do this, let me, let me just let me make one more quick confession to you. Um, I think this, putting together the message this week has been harder than maybe any other message I've ever done, at least anything I've, I remember. Um, and here's, I think here's the reason why. Because every week when I, uh, when we, I prepare for a Sunday morning, I pray a, kind of a specific prayer to God. I pray it throughout the week. And I ask God that he would enable me uh, to present a clear and a compelling message, faithful to the scriptures, motivated out of love, given and received by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory and renown of Jesus Christ. That's like my running prayer. I pray that every week, multiple times, all throughout the week, especially, especially on Sunday mornings, right, as I'm, as I'm kind of gearing up for this. Clear and compelling uh, message, faithful to the scriptures, motivated out of love, given and received by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory and renown of Jesus Christ. The first characteristic of the, of the message, clear, right? I said, help me to present a clear message. I don't want us walking out of here with just a whole bunch of questions and a whole bunch of confusion. I want each of us, myself included, to walk out with some clarity. Um, here's what I realized late in the week, as in yesterday afternoon, why I was having so much trouble putting this together. It was because there is no clear answer to the, pain of, to the, to the questions of pain and suffering. You might disagree with me, and that's okay. We're, we're, we can disagree and still be friends. Um, but I, I don't think there is any clear, pat answer to the reality of pain and suffering in our world. And what I realized was that in this, in this passage, and I hope you'll see this like I, like I, I think I see it, um, Jesus doesn't give us a clear answer in, 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 in his response to pain and suffering. But I was trying to write a clear answer. He didn't say it, but I was trying to say it. He didn't create it, but I was trying to create it. And so what I've come to is, is this. I've kind of had to let go of that. I've kind of needed to let go of the, 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 just the demands to have clarity. Um, here's the reality. There may be many of you today who walk out of this room with more questions than you walked in with. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's any way around that at this point. You might walk out with more questions than, than you walked in with. But maybe that's okay. Maybe it's okay if we don't have all the answers. Maybe it's okay if we don't have everything figured out. Okay, so I just, I, I confess that to you, and uh, I just say that going in. Um, here's what I'd like to do, begin, to do to begin. This is a tough passage of Scripture. What I'd like to do is I'd just like to kind of ready our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. So can we just take maybe... Uh, just 15 or 20 seconds, and can we kind of quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and we just ask, uh, I'll ask the Holy Spirit again to speak to us through his word. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through those seven verses uh, slowly, uh, and, and would you prayerfully listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking through his word? And what I'm going to do then is I'm just going to kind of open it up for just a minute or two, and if there is something that the Holy Spirit maybe is speaking to you through this passage, maybe it's a single word, maybe it's a single phrase, maybe it's a sentence or even a theme, and just no more than a sentence or maybe two, um, would you just shout it out right where you are? You don't need a microphone, you don't need to stand up, but just right where you are. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I've got some stuff prepared we'll share after that, but let's just take a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit speak. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before your word. 
God, we pray that uh, your spirit would speak to us through uh, the gift of your uh, word, the gift of the scriptures. I pray, God, that you would give us the understanding uh, that we need to, to press forward. We know that doesn't, that, means, that doesn't mean that we'll have all the answers. But, God, we pray that you'd help us to know what we need to know, that we might have peace in you and live for you each and every day. Um, God, as we read this, I, I pray for each person here, every single person, God, that it, your word would, would prove to be that, that living and active sword, God, that it would pierce us. Speak to us, Father. John 9, 1-7. As he, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Anything jump out to you? I'm sorry, Gloria said sin is not the only reason for suffering. Yeah. Yes, here you guess here, regardless of the circumstances, God has a plan.
he, you said he came back seeing? Yeah. Hmm. There's a lot here, isn't there? Well, let's let's look at the beginning of it. Um, it says, as he as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, if you would have asked me before this last week how this story, this specific story began, I would have, this, I would have told you, well, it began with the disciples asking a question. The disciples asked about the cause of pain and suffering for this man. Um, that's not how the story started. This isn't how the story starts. The, sto- the story starts in verse 1. The story starts like this. As he passed by, he, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. That's how the story starts. The only reason the disciples even ask a question about the man is because Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Obviously, Jesus saw, stopped, and engaged uh, the man who was blind from birth. That's the only reason why the, the disciples inquired about him. John says he saw, he, as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind. This is significant. We can't blaze past verse 1. Jesus sees this beggar, blind from birth, stops, and the way I envision it is he crouches down and he actually engages with the man, and it's then that the disciples use this as an opportunity to get down to some theological question. I I guarantee you that a man who is begging on the street, blind from birth, I guarantee you that basically every day of his adult life, uh, maybe even from a child, people have not given this man a second glance, not given him a second look. Right? Maybe just try to avoid eye contact altogether, but not Jesus. Jesus sees a blind beggar. This is, this is incredibly important. Verse 1 is so important for us to, to recognize because of two, two things, two fronts. We need to recognize this. Number one, because you are that blind beggar. I am that blind beggar. Was it Liz who said? We're all blind from birth. We are, we are all blind from birth. We are, you know John Newton, the, the Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. This song, that song was inspired by this passage of scripture. John Newton wrote, he says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, or I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, I was blind, but now I see. We don't have time to look at the whole passage. We're going to look at that more next week. But after Jesus heals this man, there's a whole big controversy between him and the Pharisees and other Jews and even his parents. And, and the, the, the religious leaders are basically saying, admit it, this Jesus is a sinner. He can't be who he claims to be. He's a sinner. Just, you know, give glory to God or, or basically, you know, admit it. You know, you're standing, you're, you're make, giving your testimony in the very presence of God. Tell the truth. He can't be who he says he is. He's a sinner. And the man basically says, I don't know what you want from me. I, I don't know what he is. I, I barely know the guy. All I can tell you is that I once was blind and now I see. That's what he's able to say. I don't know what you want. Just look at the testimony. Look at the transformation. Look at my, I see you. That, that, that's, it, it all came from, 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 that's what John Newton was pulling from, was this passage of scripture. You are that blind beggar. I am that blind 
beggar. I once was blind, but now I see. You know, you got a holy, infinite, perfect God, and then you've got people like us. And every bit of common sense we have says he would just pass on by, he'd just wash his hands of us and move on, start over, try again. But he doesn't. He doesn't pass on by. He stops and he looks. That's right, that's the greatest news in the world. It's that he doesn't walk on by, he doesn't pass on by, even though we are those blind beggars on the street. He stops and he sees us and he engages us. And by the way, contrast this with what the disciples do. Contrast Jesus' response to this man with how the disciples respond to this man. Because I told you, um, not only, you know, we got to see it on two fronts. Number one, we got to see it on this front, that we are that blind beggar. Number two, we have to see and appreciate Jesus' response because if you are a Christian in here today, if, if we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus, then we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to act and to love and to serve like Jesus Christ. And so when we see Jesus interact with people like this, we see how we are called to interact with people like this. Um, when you see people, when people come across your path who are disabled and who are hurting, who are poor, who are in need, who are outcasts of society, how do you respond? How do we respond? Natural instinct tells us, well, we pass on by. Let's, we're, like the, we're like the priests, we're like the Levites on the Jericho Road, and we pass by on the other side, right? Make a big, you know, just kind of veer around. That's what natural instinct tells us to do. But friends, we are not natural. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of Christ living in your heart, shaping you to look like Jesus, shaping you to live like Jesus. Therefore, you are not natural anymore. We, we ignore those natural instincts, and we engage. We see, and we stop, and we engage. Again, you contrast Jesus' response with the disciples' response. The disciples, they ask the question when they, when they see Jesus engage this man. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Not the most sensitive or most compassionate <laughs> response, right? You know, they see the guy in the state that he's in, and they say, well, somebody must have sinned. Either he sinned or his mom sinned, right? Or his dad sinned, that he's in a state like this. I mean, they say this right in front of the guy. The, on, the only thing that makes sense to me is that the, the reason why they're able to, to speak about him in such a dehumanizing way was because I don't think they really saw him as human. He's a blind beggar. But again, that's not how Jesus sees him. Jesus stops and he stoops down and he engages the man because he sees a soul created in the image of God, made, you know, given with, with purpose, made with, with value. It's kind of like this. Um, I know we were all, a couple weeks ago, when we, we heard that Robin Williams died, we all were heartbroken, right? And we, to, to hear of his passing, we, uh, neat guy, brought a lot of joy, a lot of laughter to a lot of people. But over the last couple of weeks, people have been posting on Facebook, you know, their, their favorite, you know, scenes or their favorite lines from some of his favorite projects that he's done. I was reminded of one of his projects uh, this week, not one of my favorite ones that he did, but it was, uh, it was all right, it was a movie called Patch Adams, right, you guys seen it? Um, well, in one of those, in one of the scenes in Patch Adams, um, you know, Patch was, he was, became a doctor, and I won't go into the whole story, we don't have time, but Patch, basically early on in his medical career, he's a resident, and he's doing rounds uh, in the hospital, right, and there's a doctor who's kind of helping to kind of mentor them and so on. Well, he's, he's with a dozen other residents, and they're walking through the hospital, and they're going from bed to bed, and the doctor and the residents, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, talking all about these different patients in 
uh, these beds as if the patients aren't even sitting right there listening to them, right? Very callously, very cold, just kind of talking about them and what they're going to do to them, right? All these things they're going to do to them, right? We're going to amputate, right? And their eyes are getting all wide. Um, so they get to the, the, the bed of this one lady, She's laying there, and, and the, the doctor just starts rattling off that she's got da 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 da, you know, and, and she's kind of feels, you can tell she kind of feels like she's on display. You know, there's just people are just talking about her. And, and then and the, the, the people that are, you know, the students there, they're talking with the doctor, and they're just rattling off questions. You know, what's the cause? What's the symptoms? What's the treatments? Right? Just talking about her, and this lady's obviously feeling incredibly uncomfortable, almost even a little like abused, you know? And then, you know, what's the cause? What's the symptoms? What's the treatments? And then Patch in the back kind of raises his hand and says, what's her name? What's her? And then everybody kind of stops and turns and looks at him. And he says, what's, what's her name? I mean, this is, this is the exact scenario that we have here with this man, uh, this blind beggar on the street. The, these disciples are talking about the man simply as if he's a case to be discussed. Jesus comes to him as a person to be loved. Is that, how, is that how we approach people who are in need? Are they problems to be figured out or are they people to be loved? I think about that with our ladies at House of Grace. We were just talking about our women at House of Grace. When we go and we visit and we spend time with these ladies, they are not problems to be solved. They are women to be loved. They are people to be loved, people to be invested in, people who have value, people who have names, who have stories. So this is important for us as followers of Jesus. We have a great picture of how we are to in, in, engage people who are in pain and suffering. That being said, let's look close. I'm going to look close today at the, at the disciples' question. They say, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because in that question, there are two false understandings of what suffering is. Or, or, or what, what suffering, uh, two false understandings basically of suffering wrapped up in this question. And it's important because what the disciples ask here is indicative of what many people today still think about suffering. How, how maybe even some people here in this room, there are two false perceptions. Tim, call it, Tim Keller calls it, uh, they, he defines them as the anger track and the guilt track, or the anger way and the guilt way. The anger way basically is the part of the question that says, well, this man's born blind, it must be his parents' fault, right? That's the anger way. This man's suffering, it must be the fault of his parents. The anger track says basically, if I'm suffering, somebody out there is to blame, I've got to have a scapegoat. I've got to have somebody to be angry at. It must be my parents' fault, or it must be my husband's fault, or my wife's fault. The anger track can even go so far as to, to move beyond just blaming a specific individual and actually begin blaming a whole group of people, right? Or a type of people, or a class of people. We say stuff like, uh, all, you know, look at all the pain and suffering in my life. It's all their fault. It's those Democrats Right? It's those Republicans, all the pain and suffering that I'm experiencing, it's all the Republicans' fault. Or, man, it's that 1%. It's that 1% that, that, that's, that's holding me down. All the pain in my life, or it's, it's all the poor people's fault. Look at the, the way they're abusing the system like that. Every, every ill that is going on in my life and all around me is, is because of the poor people. Or it's because of this race, or it's because of that race. That's the anger track. And the only thing that that type of thinking that, you know, I've, I've got suffering in my life, there's somebody out there to blame. The only thing that that is going to lead you to is a life filled with anger and with bitterness, with broken relationships, and oftentimes a classism, 
right? Or, or extreme nationalism or racism. Okay, that's the anger way. We see that wrapped up in this question. He's, he's suffering. It must be his parents' fault. It must be somebody else's fault, okay? On the other hand, you've got the guilt track. Here's what the guilt track says. The disciples say, well, this man was born blind. Maybe it's his fault. Maybe it's because of his sin. Um, and by the way, he was born blind. So like he's born blind, you know, it must be a, you know, a, <laughs> a punishment for his sin. You think, well, how is that possible? He was born blind, right? Um, well, the disciples could have been thinking, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't there, but the disciples could have been thinking, well, God can see in the future. He knows what he's going to do. So maybe God is getting a head start, right? He's just a little preemptive punishment, okay? That could have been what they were thinking. The disciples, it's, very, uh, it's a very real possibility that perhaps the disciples, like many of the other Jews uh, of that day, um, believed that the human soul existed prior to uh, entering into the mortal body. Uh, this isn't a biblical idea, um, but this is something they adopted from Plato and from Greek thought, was that the, the souls existed, they had pre-existence. They were off in heaven somewhere and off in a little chamber somewhere, right? And so maybe, you know, this soul, you know, sinned pre, in a pre-existence and then blindness was just a punishment, you know, for what happened before. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, frankly, it doesn't even matter. Uh, this is the guilt track. It doesn't look outside for somebody to blame. It looks inside for blame. Okay, the disciples say, you know, well, he's suffering. It must be his fault. It, it must be his fault. Uh, you know, the, the, the guilt, guilt track says, well, if I'm, you know, enduring pain, if I've got heartbreak, if I've got suffering in my life, it must be because I'm a bad person. I'm an awful person or else my life could be going better than it is. So which is it, the disciples say? Whose fault is it that this man is suffering? You know, who, whose fault is it that he's enduring this? Should he blame somebody else or should he blame himself? And what does Jesus say? Neither. Neither. It's not that simple. It's not, again, beware of an overly simplistic answer to the problem of pain and suffering. Jesus doesn't give a simple answer. We can't give a simple answer. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? He does give a simple answer. He says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. But that's not, there's, there's more to it than that. Because here's what Jesus is not saying. This is where it gets a little convoluted here. It's a little complicated. Stay with me. Here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that suffering didn't come into the world because of sin. That's is that like double or triple negatives. Let me, try, let me try rephrasing that. All right? He's not saying that, that suffering or pain is a result of anything other than sin. We know that that's the case. Jesus knew that that was the case. Genesis chapter 3, we see it. We see the entrance of, of suffering into this world because of sin, because of the fall, because of man's original sin right? In Genesis 3, we have this beautiful picture painted, and we got this picture painted of humanity that we are created, we are under God, but we were made above nature. We were, we were created to, to stewards God's creation, to rule over God's creation. The picture that's painted, I, I've heard it illustrated like this, is that humanity was, is made to be like the middle cog or like the middle gear within the intricate, beautiful design of a clock, all right? We're like the middle cog, right? And things are moving and things are going. But what happens when that middle cog or that middle gear decides to uproot itself and to put itself in a higher position? Elevate itself. Things go badly. Things stop working. Gears start grinding. Things start falling apart, okay? The, the clock stops working in the way that it was designed to work. 
So when Adam and Eve decide to uproot themselves and to place themselves, to elevate themselves, to put themselves in a, in a place that is ap- apart from where they were uh, designed to be in the natural order, God basically says in Genesis 3, nature now, now is no longer working the way that I designed it to work. Humanity, we, we, we've disrupted the order in which God created things to happen. Now things are perverse and they're corrupt and they're broken. And now the world is subject to disease and death and decay all as a result of our sin, all as a result of our self-centeredness. And now we see, just like 2,000 years ago, we, we, we look outside and we see evil and we see brokenness everywhere of every kind. You know, we, we, we see, again, wars all over the world. We see the terrorist activity in Iraq. We, 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 we hear about, just yesterday, saw the headline, there's executions in broad daylight in the Middle East, on the, on the, on the streets, right in the middle of the streets. There's, there's moral evil everywhere you look, okay? That moral evil, but, the, but then there's also stuff like earthquakes, like we saw this morning. Earthquakes and, and tornadoes and cyclones and, uh, tornadoes and cyclones are the same thing. Tor- <laughs> or tornado, hurricanes is what I was going for. And cancer, blindness, these things that were, God did not intend Right? we got moral evil over here. We see you know, people perpetrating it all the time everywhere we look. And then you've got natural evil over here. And you've, got, you've got God basically in Genesis 3 saying, this is not the way I meant for the world to go. This is not the way I designed it. This was not what I intended. So with what Jesus says, he said, you know, on one hand, yes, this man's blindness is a result of sin. It is a result of original sin that we see back in Genesis 3. It's part of the brokenness that resulted from the fall. Not the season, right? From the fall, man's original sin. I heard one pastor say it like this, that, that this man's blindness is a result of sin in general, but not a part of a sin in particular. Um, you can't make a uh, one-to-one correspondence with sin. You know, he did this, therefore this happened. That's, that's karma. And that's not the way it works. That's karma. Let me offer one more clarification. I told you it's convoluted. Let me offer one more clarification. Am I saying that there are never connections between the sin in our life and the suffering in our life? Are we saying that there are never any connections to that? No, absolutely not. Of course there are connections sometimes. Um, but there are di- there's a difference between consequences and condemnation. There are, there's a difference between consequences and condemnation, two different things. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is, I love that he says there is now no condemnation. He doesn't say there will be. He says there is now no condemnation for you. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to live with the consequences of our actions, but those are two different things. For example, I'll show you the difference. If I get pulled over by a cop on the way home because I didn't, you know, because my headlight is out, my front headlight's out, I can't, you know, shake my fist at God and say, he's punishing me because I got in a fight with my wife this week. Right? I got pulled over because I was too lazy to fix my headlight. Right? That's a consequence of my action. That's not God punishing me. That's not the way it works. It's not karma. You don't say, you know, I I failed my test. It's just because I didn't read my Bible this morning. Okay? That's... You're talking karma there, right? You failed your test because you didn't pay attention in class. That's why you failed your class. Those are consequences to our action. It's not condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian here today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can be confident that if you are experiencing 
hurt and pain and suffering today, it is not because God is pouring out his wrath on you. Do you, do you, do you understand that? It is not because he's pouring out his condemnation on you. It's not because he's pouring out punishment on you. Can I tell you why? Because he poured his punishment out on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. It's done. He said on the cross, it is finished. Okay? It, he does not pour. If he were to pour out a second dose of punishment on you, that would be paying for the same sin twice. That's unjust, and we have a God who is just. Our God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He doesn't pour out a second dose of punishment for the same sins. And by the way, you might be thinking, well, you know, he saved me for the ones before, but what about the ones in the future? All of your sin was in the future to Jesus when he died 2,000 years ago. <laughs> okay? All of your sin was future sin to him. So here, like I said, it, it, it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? It's a little complex. Pain and suffering is a result of sin in general, but it is not necessarily a result of a sin in particular, a specific sin. So look at what Jesus says. He says, he says, but he was, born, he was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. In the NIV it says, he was born blind so that, so that the works of God might be displayed. So here's what we've got so far. This is really important. Suffering, disease, death, blindness, it's not how God intended the world to be. On the other hand, on the other hand, by God's power, by God's mercy, in only a way that God can, your suffering is never uh, for nothing. It's not for nothing. Suffering is never senseless. On one hand, you've got Lamentations 3 that says, God hates our afflictions. He's sad with us when we hurt, when, when, when we're in pain. He wept with us, right? And when he was on this, on this, work, on this earth, he, he wept with us. He hates our affliction. On the other hand, you've got Romans 8 that Roxy referenced it earlier, that all things work together for good to them that love God. You've got those two different realities. God hates our sin. He uses our sin, or our, excuse me, our suffering. He hates our suffering. He uses our suffering. Pain was never a part of God's design, and yet all pain in your life is governed by God's will. It's controlled by God. It's channeled by God. So if you're a Christian in here today and maybe you're suffering, and, and I know that some of you might be, you, you have the ability to say today, okay, I, I know that I'm suffering. I know that there's pain in my life. I know there's heartbreak. But I also know that God is not happy about it. In fact, I know that he's even gone to the cross to deal with my suffering, to deal with my pain, and to eliminate it forever. One day it will be gone forever. But today I know that his will governs my pain. His will controls the pain in my life. I know that it will not be for nothing I am suffering so that. Your suffering, your pain today has a so that. There is purpose in it. Like I said, the question of pain and suffering, I've said it a dozen times today, it's, it's a complex one. Jesus doesn't give us a pat answer, but he does give us, I think if we look close, he does give us a, uh, um, a very practical takeaway. And I don't remember who said it. Somebody almost said the same thing. Basically what I'm about to say right here. Perhaps, this is the takeaway. For, for this section here. Perhaps what we need to do is spend a little bit of less time focusing on the cause of our suffering and focus on the purpose of our suffering. I think that's the takeaway. Perhaps we need to spend a little bit less time focusing on the reason or the cause for our suffering and focus on the purpose of our suffering. What is your so that? 
if you have more questions about this, we're going we're gonna to move on and just talk about a couple more things as we close. Um, but if you do have more questions on some of this stuff, these, are, these, these demand a, a, a longer conversation. If you have more questions, I'd encourage you to email us this week, and we'll, let's, we'll, find, we'll set up some time to talk. You can just email joein at twinoakschurch.com. Pastor Joe will help sort it all out. Okay, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay? Um, what's he saying here? On one hand, I think what Jesus is saying here, I think he's saying is that this type of ministry that he's doing with this man right here is, is, is temporary. Right? The night of the cross is coming. It's almost at hand. It's just around the corner. And Jesus is going to turn from a ministry of healing to a ministry of dying. He's going to turn from the day work of relieving suffering to the night work of suffering himself. Um, I think that's one th- on, on one hand what he's saying. I think on the other hand, I think he's talking to you and me. Um, because one thing I never noticed before, did you notice that first word right there? What's that first word? We. We. I never noticed that until this week. He doesn't say, I must do the work. I must, I must work the work of him who sent me. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. He's inviting us in. He's inviting us into that work. And if you look at his ministry with the disciples, you're constantly seeing him do this. He's constantly inviting the disciples in to do the ministry with him. It's the disciples who serve the 5,000. It's the disciples who are baptizing the people. It's the disciples who are going, you know, going ahead of him into the villages, you know, preaching about the coming kingdom. And it's the disciples, you and me, that he mandates, go make more disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. It's you and me. He says, go and serve the poor like I have. Go and, and, and love your enemies like I have. Go and, and you know, wash the feet of one another like I have. Go and, and, and live your life. Live you know, in, in such a way that those who see your good deeds would glorify your Father in heaven. That's our mandate. We, we, friends, we must work the works of, of the Father who sent Christ. We must work the, while it is still day because night is coming. This is, this is a reminder we all need to have. This is a depressing day. Our night is coming. We all have a use-by date, right? Don't we? We all have a use-by date. There is a date when we will expire. We will all have a date when, we, when we've all got an expiration date. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when you're trying to watch your budget and stuff, when you go out and buy a gallon of milk, right, and then, you know, a week later you pull it out and it's, you know, half empty, and you see that the expiration date has come and gone and it started to smell a little funny, and you're like, ah, man, i got to dump the whole thing out. It's wasted. It's wasted. Um... I want my life to be, I want to be poured out to the last drop. I have a use-by date. I want to be empty. Don't you? I want to be empty. I want to be poured out to the last, I don't want anything to be wasted. I don't want a day to be wasted. I don't want an ounce of energy wasted. When my expiration date comes, I want to be empty. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Um, we'll, we'll close with this. I, let me tell you why I think Jesus did it like this. We've seen throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus doesn't do things. Um, he doesn't do things randomly. 
you know, he could have spoken a word. He could have snapped his fingers and the man could have received his sight. That's all it would have taken. But he chose to do it this way. Why? I love, my, you know, when I, when I read the passage for the first time in preparation for this, I love just like, there's a reason for that. Can't wait to find it. There's a reason for that. Can't wait to find it. It's just so neat. To, it's, like a, it's almost like a treasure hunt. Why did he do things the way that he did? Um, I, I think there are at least a couple of answers to that. I think there are a couple of reasons. I think there's more. All we have time for it today is two. Here's the first reason why I think he uh, healed the man in this way, with the mud, anointing the eyes, and all of that. In the first one, if you're experiencing some pain and suffering, and I know that some of you are, if you're experiencing some kind of heartbreak today, please listen to this because I think that this shows us how we are to respond in our pain and suffering. This is what he does. Let's be very quick. Jesus bends down and he spits on the dirt and then he picks up the wet dirt and he kneads it with his hand and makes it into mud and then he puts it on the man's eyes. Now, many of you know, um, more often than not, uh, those who are considered blind can actually generally see a little bit of light. A little bit. I, I read one website this last week um, that said like 90% of those who are considered legally blind can actually see a little bit of light. Chances are this guy could at least see a little bit of light. So what happens when Jesus does this? If this is the case for that man who is blind, what happens when Jesus takes the mud and he puts it over the man's eyes? He's just taken a bad condition and God made it worse. You know, what, what little light might have been there is now gone altogether. And then he says, now get up and start walking. Get up and go to the pool. Sometimes the only way to handle our suffering is to simply obey in the dark. I may not see any light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't, it, in fact, it doesn't even look like what Jesus is doing is making things any better. It just actually makes it think, looks like things are going worse. What he's doing is making it worse. And we have a choice in that moment. We can walk forward in the dark, in obedience. Somebody said trust. We can walk forward in the dark, in obedience, with trust, placing our trust in Jesus that he will heal in the way that he sees fit, in the timing that he sees fit. Or we can walk away offended, remove any, you know, get that mud off our eyes. Anything that Jesus was trying to do, we can basically throw that away and we can walk away offended, unchanged. Those are often our choices. We can, we can be obedient in the dark or we can walk away and remain unchanged. Here's the second reason. I think that Jesus healed this guy with the mud the way he did, using the verbiage he did on the day he did because I think he wanted to show who he truly was. Remember I told you, John said, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. I think that the reason, well, I think what Jesus is claiming, I think that what Jesus is saying in this moment is the same thing he said in Matthew 12, is that he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And we haven't talked at all about the Sabbath, like really, he's starting this. That's all I'm going to say. If you would keep reading through chapter 9, which you don't have time to do today, you'll find out that everything that was being done in this moment, in these seven verses, was done on the Sabbath day. And with that in mind, think about this. And that, with that in mind, think about what he's just said and done. Jesus, in verse 4, says the word work three times in that one sentence. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. We must work, right, while it's still day. Okay? We must work. We must work. We must work. Now is what he's saying. It's Sabbath. If you know anything about the Sabbath, that's against the law. Right? We must work. And then not only what he says, what he does, he then bends down and he spits on the ground, he picks it up, and then he kneads it into mud. 
right? Uh, the mud, the word for mud that's used here in John 9 is the same as dough. And, and according to the Pharisaical law, this isn't a biblical thing, this is an extra biblical thing, but according to the Pharisees, this, you know, kneading the mud or kneading the dough, it's the same word, is against the law. What Jesus says, what he does, um, is, is completely contrary to what the Pharisees had in mind about what the Sabbath was all about. I think Jesus, what he's doing and what he's saying is he's showing this is what the Sabbath is about. It's me. I am the rest. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Sabbath is all about rest. That's what the Sabbath was given to us for. It's all about rest. Um, but what's the, what's the significance of rest? Why do we rest? When you think about it, why do we rest? We rest so that we can be healed, right? We rest so that we can recover, so that we can be restored physically, emotionally, psychologically, uh, and mentally, even, even spiritually. We rest so that we might recover. We rest so that we might be restored. We rest so that we can heal. The very reason why God established a Sabbath day in the first place is to remind us that we are helpless and we are weak and that it is God and God alone who heals and makes us strong. So what, day, what better day could Jesus have chosen to, to find a broken man and to heal him than on the Sabbath? That's what Sabbath is all about, God blessing and healing broken and weary humans. I think that Jesus is, is displaying to us in this man what Sabbath is all about. He is the Sabbath. He is where we find rest, and he is where we find healing. Jesus is the true Sabbath. Jesus said, through this blind's blindness, the work of God is going to be displayed, and the work that is displayed is healing. John 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross, John, or Jesus says that the work of God is now being completed. The work of God is now being completed. On the cross, he says again, it is finished. The work of God is finished. And what we see Jesus doing for this blind man is but a taste of what he has not only accomplished, but what he is accomplishing in our world. The work of God in this man's life, the, the, the healing, the, the rest that he found in Christ and the healing that he is finding in Christ is, is pointing to something larger that God is doing in our world. In this man's healing, we see a foretaste of the restoration that God is going to bring. Remember, we read it earlier. He, he is uh, um, making all things new. It, this is what it says in Revelation 21. That's where it comes from. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne will say, I am making everything new. As one author put it, he said, what happens when blindness meets the light of the world? When sinners meet the Savior? When hunger meets the bread of life? When thirst meets the living water? When lost sheep meet the good shepherd? The rejected meet incarnate love and the dead meet Christ who is the resurrection and the life? This is what happens. The blind receive their sight. The sinful receive forgiveness. The hungry are filled and satisfied. The lame walk. The sick are cured. People are made whole. Prisoners are set free. Those who once mourned are filled with joy. The dead are raised and eternal life is inherited. That is the promise of the risen Christ. And that's the promise we hold on to. Peter calls it our living hope. This is what we hold on to regardless of what's happening in life. This is what we hold on to. Paul says, regardless of what's happening, we do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Light and momentary affliction is what he said. 
And again, that's coming from the guy, we said it before, that's coming from the guy who was um, you know, beaten, who was stoned, uh, who was arrested, who was shipwrecked, who was bitten by snakes, who was left for dead multiple times. He says, light and momentary. That's nothing compared to what awaits me. So I don't know what's going on in your heart today. I don't know, maybe you've been going through uh, some heartbreak. I know many of you have. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your family's life today, but here's what I do know. Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. You need to be healed. And the only way that you can find that healing is to rest and rest in Christ. Jesus said in John 16, we close with this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, he says. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Let's pray.